outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light. Go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson, and today I'm going to talk about going where you shouldn't whether that's in the Whitetail Woods or the Elk Mountains or wherever. I know I've mentioned this many, many times, but it's worth bringing up again. That hunting content that you've been consuming for much of your life came from people who don't operate in the same world as you. They hunt unbelievable spots and they either have control over them or they pay for the opportunity to hunt where someone else controls the pressure, at least in a lot of content. The narrative that comes out of these folks is pretty much an echo chamber of do this, don't do that. But the truth is, you kind of have to do things differently from them. One of those things that I think will make you a better hunter is to go where you normally wouldn't go, which is what this episode is all about. Earlier this summer, I filmed a fishing show with the one and only Andy May. During our shoot, I happened to catch a personal best smallie in a spot that has just kind of come on my radar on a lake that I've fished more than any body of water ever, except for maybe the Mississippi River. I honestly don't know really why the spot holds big fish, but I have some ideas. Depth definitely plays a role in it. I find differences in smallmouth concentrations and quality of fish often in places that are a foot or two deeper than the surrounding areas. Food is another one. I know that the minnows end up getting pushed up against the shore there when the wind is blowing just right, but you know that happens in a lot of spots on big lakes. So it's kind of still a mystery I'm trying to figure out, but it's also a good reminder that on a specific lake where I'm real confident in my knowledge, I still miss things all the time, and things are always changing. So maybe that spot wasn't good five or ten years ago. 
Or maybe I just missed it. Maybe something changed and made it better. I think this is possible because some of the normal rock piles that usually host schools of brownies are getting a lot more pressure than they used to. Now, are bass smart enough to move somewhere where they get harassed less? Probably. Maybe. I don't know. I know deer move to places where they get harassed less. In fact, that's one of the biggest drivers in their daily habits. It's something that's super relevant right now, too, considering how many states are opening up their whitetail season over the next few weeks, if they haven't already. Let me lay this out in an orderly fashion so you understand where I'm going with this episode. As the season opens up, we all dive into our opening week or early season plan. On an individual level, great. That's great. Head to your best field edge stands and try to arrow that dumb buck that just hasn't caught on to the pressure yet. But understand this, the pressure that shows up opening weekend, and honestly, the weeks before as hunters get the itch to hang stands and check cameras and just get into the woods, is going to change the deer right as you think they should be most predictable. Now you've put in all this work, at least I hope you have, to get yourself ready for filling an early season tag, and now you're going to read the conditions and act on that plan. But the wild cards are many if you don't have a sweet, tightly controlled place to hunt. Some plans will work out for hunters, but mostly they won't. That means the fervor of opening week will come and go, and the reality of the season will set in. This is just like when you go on your first day of rutcation, say on November 1st, and you're so excited you pee just a little bit on the front of your camo boxers, Mark Kenyon style. But after that first all-day sit, reality kicks you right upside the head like a drunk Muay Thai fighter at a dive bar. As soon as you're done counting Tweety Birds, your job is to figure out the deer. And that isn't something you can do by listening to advice from people who don't have to worry about hunting pressure, or limited hunting time, or not having very much hunting skill. So how do you do this? One of the ways is you go where you aren't supposed to. You're going to have to go find the fresh sign somewhere. You're going to have to look around and accept the fact that the spot you thought was the spot of all spots, the one you just knew you'd kill your number one hit lister in, has gone the way of the old dinosaur. Now this is so much easier to preach than it is to practice. I deal with this in my life all the time, and I'm constantly fighting the patterns of my behavior. I do have one benefit in all of this. It's that I've been wrong about deer a lot and fish, and turkeys, and elk, and squirrels, and marriage, and all sorts of fun stuff. If you hunt enough to be wrong a lot, you realize that you have less to lose than you think, and more to gain from breaking some of the hard and fast rules that most hunters follow. But you have to acknowledge two things. The first is that you're going to do things you think you probably shouldn't. The second is that it's not going to happen quickly. Let's start with the first part. What do I mean by going where you shouldn't? Well, isn't that self-explanatory? You have to go walk that swamp edge. You have to go into what you think is the primo bedding area sometimes. You have to go where you can learn something. If you're thinking, man, this guy's an idiot. I'm not walking into the best spot on the 30 acres I hunt only a few days after the season opener. Let me remind you of something. I've been begging you to find more spots to hunt. Why didn't you, huh? Wouldn't one more spot make a world of difference so you wouldn't be so scared to go figure out why you're listening to just another moron spout hunting advice instead of taking your freshly killed and cape buckhead to the taxidermist? Even you, Mr. I Only Hunt 30 Acres guy, can go where you think you shouldn't. 
the way I do it for those small properties is this. I wait until I have the conditions working in my favor. The first is that I know I won't be able to hunt that property for at least a few days. I want to go in when I know I'm going to be somewhere else for a little while. You know, right before a trip or a long stretch of dumb work where there won't be any hunting to do. The second is I want to go in there in the midday, preferably in the rain. The midday part is easy enough to do, especially if I plan to do a morning hunt on one of those small properties. The rain isn't as easy to come by, but it helps if you can get it. I'll also just take a good steady wind to at least cover up some of the sound and some of my movement. Then it's just a matter of guessing on where the deer probably went if they weren't where I expected them to be. I see this a lot in my neck of the woods where the deer start to really tuck into the edges of the wetlands once the season opens. They are often a mix of soft and hard edges close together, and it's consistently some of the best bedding cover. Also functions as staging cover, where those early season bucks will often leave their first rubs of the year. The overall goal is just take a quick look around while causing as minimal damage as I can, yet still trying to learn something. If you are interested in this and are a small property hunter, or hell, if you hunt huge properties, this works too. You should think small when it comes to hunting spots. Don't think of a whole ridge or the whole edge of the cattail slough. Think about the exact spot the buck should want to be the most. Then go find it. Take that walk. Yeah, you'll leave scent. You'll probably spook some deer, but you should learn something. And I'm going to get into this later, but remember, this isn't a short game. Even though you might find some sign worth going mobile on right now, you're also building up some knowledge on what the deer do as soon as they know they are getting bow hunted again. That knowledge comes into play for the rest of your hunting life on that property you hunt right now and others you'll hunt in the future. Look at it this way. Even if you've been hunting the same spot for 50 years, there are things you don't know. There are deer spots you've never understood in those five decades. And there are countless things that are different this year from 25 years ago, as well as one season ago. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. 
because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's always something to learn. I feel this every time I start setting up for the new season and then really understand it once I start hunting. But it's also a motivator to get out and figure some new things out. Sometimes I have a hard time with that, though, for a couple of reasons. One is that I get scared and lazy. I don't want to spook deer. And sometimes I just don't want to go do extra work for something that should be fun. So I trick myself into doing it. This often means I pick up a shotgun and round up my dogs. Maybe I'm going to go jump shoot a few woodies. Maybe I grab my 22 and I'm going to go hunt squirrels for a little bit. If there is something else to hunt, I find it easier to go where I think I shouldn't. Now, I know this is sort of a contradiction because I told you not to make an impact. But again, you got to figure out how to do this. It's more important than not doing it. So if that's what it takes, go do it. It's kind of like how it's easier to go winter scouting if you have the possibility to find a shed antler or two, or how it's not so bad to hike a couple miles deep into an elk drainage if you know you have a couple of blunt tip arrows in your quiver and really high odds of bumping into those delicious and oh-so-stupid mountain-dwelling grouse. You know, the lowly woodcock, the worst eating and easiest to hit game bird I've ever encountered. And yes, I know you'll send me some nasty emails on how tasty they are and how they are the supreme challenge for real wing shooters, even though you're wrong, has probably led to more accidental big woods deer hotspots for me than any other activity, aside probably from winter scouting, which I think is a big woods hunter's best friend. The thing is, Woodcock hunting is fun, especially if you've got a puppy and you want them to learn the ways of game birds without dealing with roosters that will run them to death or the randomness of rough grouse in the early thick woods. Woodcock are predictable. They feed in low, wet areas, the kind of areas that bucks on public land often retreat to when the masses show up with their bows and crossbows ready to roll. The routes I take through the woods to shoot a few of those worm eaters 
are the routes I need to take to often figure out where the bucks are living. This is one of my favorite things to do when I have time and several thousand acres of national forest to hunt, although I will do it on a smaller private parcel too. The truth is, it's just something I enjoy doing enough that I'll sandbag a little bit of potential deer success now to do it. But even that's not entirely true, because walking where I think Woodcock might be has led to an awful lot of deer, like I said. A few years ago, I spent quite a bit of time on a large parcel of land in northern Wisconsin hunting deer, grouse, woodcock, and catching a few brook trout. Throughout September and October, I pretty much targeted all those animals and fish at some point, and as the rut drew closer, I switched mostly to deer. But I hunted spots I found four weeks earlier while woodcock hunting, because that took me into places I needed to see to have a better deer plan throughout the season. Some of the spots I've found this way have become season after season places that I always check and more often than not hunt at some point. Now, this is a different strategy than the low impact style so many people preach. But the truth is, if you hunt pressure ground, the deer are used to some impact. They're used to people going into areas and leaving scent all around and generally making their lives more stressful. Now, you might think you can shortcut this whole thing and be real smart by running trail cameras but that's a tall order. Sure, if you have one trail or one tight spot that you can run a camera on and figure something out, great. But think about it this way. What if the property you hunt has just one 10-acre swamp on it? There might be dozens of trails leading into and out of it. There are hundreds of yards of inside and outside edges to hunt on that little swamp. How many cameras would you have to run to get a pattern on the deer going in and out of it? Probably more than you own. Now, what can you learn by taking one or two laps around and through it? Probably quite a bit. Some of it will be actionable in the short term, but a lot of it will be actionable in the long term. Now, of course, running cameras around it all season long might give you a hell of a glimpse into what you should do next season. So there is that, but I still think there is such a benefit to finding sign in person and taking note of the deer that you jump and really looking at the land and how the deer use it or how the elk use it or whatever. The main takeaway to this is that you can't be afraid to break the rules a little bit. I mean, the rules of the hunting industry, not your state regs, just to be clear. The rules that others follow apply to their hunting situation, not yours. And honestly, if the generally accepted hunting rules that came from the hunting industry worked so well, it wouldn't be so damn hard for so many of us to consistently fill our tags. Yet it is. Think about that. I want you to think about this as well as your opening week plan unravels and you see how it's really going to take shape. Maybe that bachelor group you've been glassing all summer sticks to the pattern and you're good to go. That's great. But if not, what's next? Maybe the best way to learn this is by going elk hunting, which is a topic I covered a few weeks ago. Elk will teach you things about how quickly game can be here today and gone tomorrow to force you to keep an eye on the clock because you'll be on limited time. They'll remind you pretty much daily, but how if you're not really right around them, you're in for long, slow, frustrating, boring days. Whitetails will teach you the same thing. If you learn to ignore the reality that you do have a longish season in which to encounter them, they'll teach you that lesson if you're willing to be honest about the gaps in your knowledge on any given property and your willingness, often to your own detriment, to keep slapping the ass of that dead horse you're trying to ride when it's clear that things have changed and the deer have left you behind. You don't have to buy a well-bred lab puppy and a little 28-gauge to woodcock hunt to do this. You don't have to go hunt squirrels in the same oaks that your deer will feed under. 
You don't have to trick yourself into jump shooting some teal on a series of ponds hidden deep in a national forest, but you should look at what it takes to get yourself out there learning and looking around as that season progresses. This is the best way to stay proactive in my opinion, and if you need to pair this strategy with some fresh trail camera sets, great. It's hard to gather too much deer intel, at least in my experience, but my main point is this. Don't be like other folks. Don't put all your faith into your early season plan without acknowledging that if it doesn't work, well, you need to do some work. Don't just say to yourself, well, things will get back to normal as soon as the rut gets closer because then you'll sit out so much of the season on a long odds bet instead of getting out there and adding to your baseline of property knowledge and your overall understanding of just what deer might do at any given point of the season. And don't forget to come back next week because I'm going to talk about shot angles, deer body language, and how to mostly deflate lungs or puncture deer hearts when you draw your bow. That's it. I'm Tony Peterson. This has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I just want to say thank you to all the listeners, all the people who go read the articles at the Meat Eater site, everybody who's viewing the different series that we put up there. Uh, so much support from you guys and gals. We just absolutely love it. We truly appreciate it. If you are listening to this and you want to hear podcasts by Clay or whoever, you can go to TheMeatEater.com, find those. You can find all those series the Element Boys are putting up, all kinds of good stuff, and, of course, tons of articles on every kind of hunting and fishing and foraging and whatever else that you want to see. It's all there. And if you're like, you know what, I think I need a new First Light jacket or maybe an FHF bino harness, something like that, the Meteor store is there for you as well. So while you're doing a little reading and consuming some content, maybe do a little shopping too. You do you, but check it out at TheMeatEater.com. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.